Welcome to the Technology Lab, presented by CPA Practice Advisor, with your hosts, Randy Johnston and Brian Tankersley. Good day, I'm Randy Johnston with co-host Brian Tankersley on the Technology Lab. Today, we're going to talk about outsourcing. And in this introduction, we want to help you understand some of the uh, attributes you should be looking for, as well as uh, things that you should ask of any provider. Now, I got to tell you, Brian, I have all sorts of time on my hands nowadays. I just kind of don't have to work near as hard as I used to. But hey man, if you have uh, time to lean, you have time to clean. <laughs> well, as it turns out, probably some of that is, uh, you know, triggered by the use of artificial intelligence, which has certainly reduced the load. But you know, I just think back uh, into late 22 and uh, into this year, and I got to tell you that um, the requests from firms to consider outsourcing have been extraordinary. I, and I, I think I, it's really a function of they can't find people to work. I agree. And I will tell you that based on the work I've done with uh, CPA review over the years, I know that the candidates available that are taking the exam are way down, even though we've opened up global opportunities for people in other countries to take the exam. So even with opening up all of these global opportunities and all these folks offshore taking this, the, the sheer number is still down. So it's a... Um, it's interesting times right now. So um, the other thing that's changed is that sit, I, I want the accounting department head at Tennessee Tech University is is um, a guy that you and I both know, Richard Rand. Um, and he and I were talking the other day. His daughter actually works for BDO. She's attached to Nashville. And um, as, to my understanding that she is 100% remote. So she, she works out at her dad's horse farm on tax and uh, does all the work remotely. And, you know, BDO sending some people back to the office and, uh, you know, she's, she just keeps on trucking. So it is what, what he says. So, you know, that's, that's kind of nice because, you know, when, if you live in a city like Nashville where the infrastructure hasn't kept up with the growth, much like Austin didn't in the nineties and still hasn't today. Um, it's nice to not have that commute and it's nice to be able to live where you want. Unfortunately for a lot of the small firms that we serve in this, uh, in this podcast, a lot of the, a lot of the good staff people now are getting recruited just like Richard's daughter, um, to go out and work remote. Um, and so, you know, they're, maybe they're, attached to a New Jersey or a New York or a California CPA firm, and they live over in flyover country like Tennessee and Kansas, where you and I live, respectively. Mm -hmm. And of course, the escalation of wages comes with that. So, mm -hmm. you know, where we as a local operating firm or, a, you know, a, a somewhat regional firm had some isolation from uh, inflationary pressures and competitive and so forth. Those days might kind of be behind us. So that's why I thought it was important we talked about outsourcing with our listeners, Brian, because the fact of the matter is there's a strategy of outsourcing acceptance. And then the question is, 
Do you keep it onshore? Do you take it offshore? And of course, the offshore locations have been pretty interesting because uh, sometimes the outsourcing stays in the U.S. Sometimes it goes to, uh, you know, another crown on the colony company like the U.K. or Canada. But most of the time when we think outsourcing, it's going to India or the Philippines or Singapore. And occasionally now it's going to South America or Mexico and uh, other locations. So, you know, what's happening is global uh, recruitment of talent is happening everywhere. Yeah. So we really do have a national market for onshore staff and a global market for, for offshore staff. And those two are different because of the hour differences and because of the regulatory compliance challenges associated with people that are offshore. Uh, they're not difficult challenges, but you just can't do certain things effectively. Um, and you have to also have special compliance things in place with your clients. And as you know, Brian, uh, I had a client request that occurred last August. And I asked you to help me with the interpretation and the guidance, because I wrote up some basic guidance on how to set up the firm for outsourcing properly, and then looked at a lot of the IRS regs. And the deeper I got into it, the more I was concerned that a significant number of U.S. CPA firms that are outsourcing are actually not following regulations and that there are some issues related to the software providers and infrastructure to get that all right. Now, you know, that that one is a concern to me, but, you know, perhaps people are just going to look the other way. Well, the thing I would say there is that um, is that even if something you're doing is legal, um, if it is not a best practice and it's not something that is widely accepted in the profession as something that you ought to do or you ought to not do, um, you're still going to get shredded in some kind of litigation there because you're you're not judged by a bunch of lawyers or a bunch of uh, you know a bunch of accountants. You're judged by twelve people that couldn't get out of jury duty in a jury trial, and so we have to we have to kind of acknowledge that. And so even though there are things that may be legal. We need to make sure that we are providing the due professional care that a fiduciary owes to their client uh, when we're doing this. Yeah, so that really led to, in our K2 courses that we created for this year, uh, in the CPA firm section, I really wanted to give some guidance to outsourcing. So I developed a checklist of things to ask, and that was another motivation of the discussion today. Because uh, I'm happy to send our listeners this list on request, but fundamentally, the uh, categories that I think you need to ask about include things like the services offered, the turnaround time, the skills that are available, uh, whether it's onshore, offshore, the security that's done and where the people are at for their their physical location. There's probably a few more considerations that you may want for your particular operation. Uh, for example, I think things like how many people work at the company, how long they've been around, you know, the demographics and when they were founded is a, another pretty important piece. But, uh, you know, what? so what I'd like to do, if we could, Brian, is just, you know, discuss some of that. Now, we are aware of good outsourcing companies, and we're aware of dismal outsourcing companies. 
And they all sound alike when you're trying to, to make an original deal with them. So, you know, it's clear that the big names, the Thomson Reuters, the Walters Kluwer, may be more reliable uh, in terms of their services. And I'm going to suggest to you that it's critical that at least for your first experience in outsourcing, I think you need to go through one of the leading providers. My opinion only, I, Randy and I haven't discussed this, but I think you don't know what you don't know about outsourcing. Um, you and I every day are getting approached by chartered accountants in India and chartered accountants you know, around the world uh, that want in on the U.S. market. And if you have, if you know, you know, if you have some outsourcing experience, I'm going to suggest that, you know, and you, and you have, you're comfortable with the additional risks you have not dealing with a, um, not dealing with one of the big providers that's, that, that again is known to, known to lots of folks, um, then, then I, then maybe you decide you want to go forward with that. Okay. But your first experience should not be with somebody that cold calls you on LinkedIn or email or other things like that, in my opinion. Yeah, that's actually good advice. Now, the the services that can be outsourced, you know, it's it's really the services you provide, but different companies actually do a better job in these different categories. So, for example, uh, tax preparation is a common outsourced, uh, you know, service, but it turns out that audit and bookkeeping or accounting or client accounting services could be outsourced. Payroll could be outsourced and other specialty services can be outsourced, but each of the different vendors will claim that they've got the ability to do or not do services in various categories. Now, the other big uh, attribute as I'd see it is besides the services and the skills that the people might have for you is whether or not you're paying an hourly rate to have work done. In other words, piecework versus a dedicated employee. And one of the attitudes that I heard about outsourcing uh, over the last six or seven months, and I've heard it in the past, but it's surfacing more and more now, is you've got to assume that the outsourcers are like entry-level staff. Now, you might be able to find people uh, that have higher skills, and you can request those, and the, the outsourcers will try to get those for you. But your best uh, use, I think, also is to take some of that low-level work and push it out and take your existing people and upskill them. So that seems to be a strategy, but piecework versus an employee. And then if it's an employee, do they have a good enough language skill to talk to your clients or do you want them to? And in most cases, my friendly guidance there is, now don't have your outsourcers talking to your clients, although many firms have taken that approach. I would suggest to you that, um, that again, that's, it, it's not that the folks uh, don't have the language skills or anything else like that, but um, I, I don't think you necessarily want to, to have the perception or ever created that you have somebody that's working in a cubicle for some big corporation doing your tax return instead of the local person, um, you know, that, that knows what's going on in this city or town and everything else. Um, simply because the, uh, I, I just think that um, it's, it'd be very easy for that to happen. And then suddenly somebody says, well, if that's the experience I'm going to get, then why don't I just go do the uh, TurboTax live thing and see what happens there? Um, and, you know, again, I, 
to differentiate your service, I think you're, you're going to want a human onshore handling their problems so that somebody feels like they can walk down the hall and go, go get you if there's something blowing up. Yeah. Another core question that I think is worth asking is, you know, what's the turnaround look like? And these outsourcing companies have service level agreements and you can sign up for different levels of service as well. But it is not unusual that it might be, uh, you know, two days or two to four days or a week. And, you know, when, when you're negotiating with the outsourced vendor, you need to be pretty clear about what your expectation is in turnaround. Uh, early on, these companies were frequently turning things, you know, in the overnight shift, you might say, because if you're working with a group in India, as an example, because of the time zone differences at the end of the day, you could throw work over the wall to them. And by the time you got back in the office in the morning, it would be ready for your review. So, you know, from a tax perspective, that probably makes sense. From a client accounting services, that probably a little less of uh, a, a good expectation. However, you know, Brian, both you and I, when we've taught client accounting services, have suggested that daily reconciliation is a pretty good strategy. And if you've got outsourced employees, notice doing a a daily reconciliation. So all the cast, uh, you know, information is ready for you when you hit the office the next day is not a bad strategy. And, you know, I, I like the, um, I like, I think the SLA thing is, is very, very particularly important here. Um, just think of it, think of that similar to the way you think of shipping. Okay. So when you have something that absolutely positively has to get there overnight, you spend 50 bucks on a FedEx overnight envelope. Okay. Um, when you have something that needs to get there in two to four business days, you use a $10 priority mail stamp. Um, and when you have something that needs to get there in seven business days, you just drop it in regular US snail mail for 60 cents or whatever the latest postage rate is. And so notice here that you will, you know, the 48 hour turnaround will be a little more dear than the uh, seven business day uh, turnaround, but not all tasks can wait that long. You know, if you're thinking about say individual tax and somebody thinks their return isn't that hard, even if it is, um, that seven business day turnaround may not meet with your client's expectations of service once you fill in your turnaround on your side too. Remember that set, that's seven business days from here's your task, everything's ready to go, to you're ready to review it. And then God knows how long it's going to take to get it reviewed and everything else like that. Yeah. And, you know, as I'm thinking about uh, these items, you, you know, in this session, we're not naming very specifically too many of the outsourced companies. Uh, obviously, we've named Walters Kluwer and Thomson Reuters specifically, whereas you and I have talked about others in the past. I'm just going to pick a few more names like Bookskeeping or SurePrep. Uh, and of course, TaxFile has a fairly large name in the in the market. But it's been interesting to watch others, uh, you know, come along and uh, try to break into the market as as it is. But the bottom line here is, uh, I'm currently tracking 23 outsourced providers trying to grade these different levels of skills, and I found that's very hard to do. Uh, because unless you're inside getting the service, it's hard to judge what the service is, is actually like. So, uh, again, I know a number of these various providers that are there, 
Uh, but you know, the, the skills might be another interesting um, discussion because whether the outsourced client, uh, outsourced provider has client facing capabilities, can do more advanced work like proposal preparation, whether they can actually use robotic process automation to uh, complete the work more rapidly. Uh, I've actually had very insightful conversations on these outsourcers that are doing a lot of RPA. And uh, so the people are actually doing less work and the tools are doing more work. But, you know, if you think about communication and presentation and knowledge, those are all very soft skills that are hard to manage. So one of the things that we also recommend is just like you were hiring an employee locally, you describe the skills that you want. And that skill set is what you can present to the outsource provider saying, we believe we need somebody with these types of skills. And of course, you're going to have to be able to manage that particular workflow. And that goes back to needing more workflow tools to get this done. And honestly, that was the basis of the CCH data uh, CCH access workflow product, you know, the old XCM product that was really built to control the Expitax outsourcing division, and they needed an electronic way to do that. So that evolved into the primary workflow here in the profession. Now, yeah. go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I, I think that um, I think generally when we're when working on this, um, we really need to differentiate again between the piecework and between the dedicated employees. And different organizations do different uh, do different things like this. But remember, if you've got that dedicated employee, uh, you can't store the time up. So if they don't have anything to do or they don't have anything that's that's proper scale for them to do, you're probably still going to have to pay them. Uh, conversely, here, um, if we have we we may not have consistency between jobs as to who's working on it. If you're doing it piece rate. And so it may be very difficult for you to get comfortable with uh, going going to higher level skill things because you don't know which staff person you're going to get as part of this. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, the, the last uh, area of consideration that I think we need to call out for our listeners is security. Now, you and I both think and deal a lot with security, but I'd like for you to put on your best internal controls hat here and ask your provider to provide documentation on how they do their physical controls, how they do their network controls, whether or not they've got a supervised workspace or if, you know, the employees can carry cell phones in and take pictures of the work that they're doing, that type of thing. Uh, whether the outsourcer allows work from home, which by the way, is far harder to control than if they go to an office and work in the office. And if they have uh, certifications like SOC audits or ISO audits, and if they're compliant with GDPR and, and on and on. So just think about what you'd want to work with from a security perspective. Again, I wrote a security document up for a client that basically lays out what it takes to be compliant or what is the best practices. But I've not found many of those types of documents in the wild. Now, I would say that I would also, uh, I would highlight the things you said there, Randy, and just, just remind everybody that you are still responsible. 
it is still your client. You are still responsible for any data leakage that takes place through this. So, you know, even though some of these things like having a, uh, you know, having having uh, no paper in the place and people wear uh, people wear clothing without uh, without pockets in it and uh, no flash drives and, and computers locked down where you're running everything over remote desktop services or something like that. You know, those things I know for many of you sounds like we're being just extremely fastidious and being paranoid. Uh, but but that's the level you need to have because even because just like camera phones capture everything today, um, you know they th it, that happens here in the U.S. That happens abroad too, and a lot of, you know one of the things I know from writing the ripped from the headline sessions that I've done for K two for years is that there is there are countries in which significant portions of their economy are ripping off Americans, Canadians, and, and again, other folks in the developed world. Um, and uh, it's not, you know, again, I'm not suggesting that that has anything to do with where those folks live or anything, but I think it just has to do with the fact that maybe their governments aren't as aren't as honed in on white collar crime and aren't as honed in on identity theft, especially when it's not against their citizens. Uh, so we have to acknowledge that and just kind of know that that's the situation. So, you know, to kind of wrap up our time together today, I will tell you that there are outsourced companies that I've sworn to never say their name again, because I don't want them to get any recognition from me. You know, the, the company whose name I shall, shall not be spoken class thing. So yeah, Voldemort. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I knew, knew you'd appreciate that one, Brian. So, you know, in the big picture of things, if you're looking at an outsourced company, uh, I am tracking many. I know Brian has dealt with some too. Uh, we don't mind hearing from you and say, look, we're thinking about doing this and we're looking at company X. Are they okay? On a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I don't mind saying, yeah, they're, they're, their reputation seems to be fine. And again, I'm trying to be respectful of these companies' strategies. Uh, you know, each one of them seem to have a different formula and there are operational differences in their styles. And, uh, you know, it's going to be hard for you to uh, differentiate them in the selection process because kind of like IT people, they all sound alike. And they all say the same thing. And there's a lot of difference in the quality of outsource delivered, just like the quality of IT is so radically different. So, Brian, any parting thoughts on this? You know, I think I think the world has changed. You know, outsourcing has been very common in the um, in the enterprises, specifically in the Fortune 500 for 40 years at least. And I think it's just a natural trend of things uh, as we become more global to have a more global market for professional services and labor. And um, I think, you know, you figuring out how your firm fits into that and how it takes advantage of the opportunities that are available in light of the market conditions for people entering the accounting profession. Um, I think it's just, I think it's smart to look at it. You don't have to necessarily do it, but, um, you may have a heck of a time uh, growing your business and or meeting the needs of your existing clients if you don't at least consider it at some level. Yeah. And, you know, the last thing that I think I'll mention is we have been noticing in the last two years in specific, it might have been going on a little bit longer, that the costs of outsourcing are also escalating. 
the wage competitive differentials are closing, but there still is a price advantage. And we are cognizant that at a point in time, enough of the work could be outsourced that in effect, the outsourcing companies could hold your firm or our economy hostage by basically saying, look, we want all these professional services. And if they're able to do U.S. tax, U.S. audit, U.S. accounting, U.S. payroll, uh, you know, again, they were your clients, could be a risk here. So, hey, a pleasure to spend some time with you today. We'll see you on another Technology Lab. Thank you for sharing your time with us. We'll be back next week with a new edition of the Technology Lab, brought to you by CPA Practice Advisor.